Hey guys, welcome back to Left Hold On Podcast. Real excited to introduce you to today's guest. Uh, ben is going to join me. Ben is an RD, he's a certified strength conditioning specialist, and even bigger than that, he has lived with type 1 diabetes for m- the majority of his life. Uh, his whole mission is to really battle the dogma and the bullshit about how you have to live your life with, with type 1. Uh, even more so, we just talk about what it is for, for general population when you don't have uh, something like type 1 diabetes. And especially now in the, the way the U.S. is, there's definitely a health crisis and a terrible relationship with food. Uh, so Ben is really here to drop a bunch of knowledge bombs and educate us to the fact that we can eat all the foods that we really enjoy, whether we have type 1 or otherwise, and, and still get everything we want out of life and don't have to live in fear about gaining weight or uh, not having insulin or whatever the situation for you may be. And that's really what Ben does. Ben really has a great way of challenging your way of thinking. Um, incredibly intelligent human being. But more than anything, I love, love the way he battles the bullshit. So uh, enjoy this episode. Let me know what you think. See if you got anything out of it. If you have any more questions, reach out to either one of us. And as always, remember to rate, subscribe, share, uh, leave a comment, whatever you got. I appreciate everything you guys can do to spread uh, this podcast out. So enjoy the episode. Talk soon. And we're recording. There we go. Cool. So Ben, what's up, dude? What's going on? I'm just I'm <laughs> glad to be here. Yeah, dude, me too. It's um, So I'll have you introduce yourself in a second, but when we started this Impact Income with Jen, um, I felt like kind of drawn to you right away just because you have this, uh, what we would call in my power athlete community, we call Battle of Bullshit, um, which I, I very quickly found that you you to be very familiar or similar to, to that mindset. Um, and as I kind of invested in, you know, help, you know, following your content and everything. I was like, yes, this is one of my people right here for sure. Cause it's just, uh, in a way it's against going against like dogma. It doesn't have to be the way that everybody's told you have to do it. Uh, and that's, I'm not like hardcore, like rage against everything. Like, no, but like, I think you should question everything and you should make this work the best for you. So, um, maybe we'll get down that rabbit hole here, but let's have you you introduce yourself. Give us that, uh, who you are, where you are, why you're there, all this stuff, whatever you want to do. Absolutely. So my name is Ben Zeal. I'm a registered dietitian, certified strength and conditioning specialist, and I've had type 1 diabetes for next month will be 21 years. So it will be old enough to drink adult beverages, which is great. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I mainly work with people with diabetes, shocker, to help them lose weight and get complete control over their blood sugars because so many people tell people with diabetes, you can't eat this, you can't do that, kind of what you were just saying. You'll never be able to achieve anything. And then, like, sure enough, people just get in this pigeonhole. They, they stick themselves in the pigeonhole and they never can get out of it. So my goal is to show you, hey, you can get out of it. You can do the things you want. And there's nothing that will stop you unless you choose to stop you. Ah, dude, I love it. I love it. It's um, so I mean, I think I think a lot of people right now, especially with the landscape of let's just call it this country right now. Um, we don't need to go worldwide. We'll call it this country. We are a, a fat, sick, dying nation, blaming um, a lot of things for those diseases. I mean, the obesity, um, the the number of people that are obese, uh, number of people with heart disease, all these things going really into our lack of movement and our um, lack of food knowledge, I'll say, or discipline with food, you know, which one, whatever way you want to put it. And I think most people are really familiar with type two. 
Um, you know, that's, that's like a, it's a buzzword as much as it's a serious issue. Um, but we don't talk about type one all that often. And I know it's, uh, what are they, uh, what are they, what was the original name for it? Um, something juvenile. Is it youth, youth, juvenile. juvenile. That's what I, yeah, yeah. Juvenile. Yeah. Um, and I always thought it was funny because like, I, I mean, as much as you might find out you have it when you're a kid, but like, this is something you're going to deal with as an adult. So this isn't about juvenile at all. Um, how old were you when you, you uh, figured out you were type one? I was seven years old, had just moved from the great state of Michigan to Wisconsin and did not want to go to Wisconsin. We go to Six Flags for the first time ever, which is just over the Illinois border. I'm super excited. Never been to a theme park before. We walk into the gate. My dad gets a phone call, one of those giant cell phones. It's probably like that big, you know, <laughs> and then and he puts the phone to his ear and it's the children's hospital saying Ben has diabetes. And then from that point forward, Six Flags has forever been ruined for me. Oh, man. It's like vomiting in college, except we go back to it. Uh, man, that's uh, how did you handle that when you were younger? I mean, like a seven year old, you, did you really recognize what that meant? I just knew that I had to take injections and a year prior when I would get like immunizations or whatever, I would kick the nurses so I could no longer kick people. That was the biggest thing I took from it. And at that point, I mean, by the time I was eight, I was almost eight when I got diagnosed. By the time I was eight, I was given my own injections, drawing up my own insulin, making my own food, counting my own carbs, just kind of, I got thrown into the fire by my parents. And I think that was probably the best thing that could have happened to me. Yeah, dude, sometimes that, that is a, you know, the more you know, sometimes the harder it is to get through it. So it's, it's sometimes you just got to figure it out. That's, uh, did you have symptoms before? Like, what were your symptoms before uh, you were diagnosed? Well, again, I was a kid. I don't remember much, but my parents told me that I was peeing all the time, which is classic, losing a little bit of weight, which I mean, it's classic, but I was like, what, 70 pounds, 60 pounds. Like it wasn't like you're going to notice. And apparently I was really, really crabby and kind of an asshole to everybody. So, <laughs> so there's the giveaway, huh? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if this changed these days, but I'm a little more friendly now. Yeah. Well, you, you buffed off the edges here. <laughs> uh, dude, I love it. So you don't, you're not a Six Flags guy anymore. Um, so I know you've got, you just had this huge launch for your business. So let's dive into that a little bit. Um, I know that, well, I guess, and let me see this a different way. What does battling the bullshit in the type one community really mean to you? Cause I, I know you're, you're heavy into rant on this. I want you, I'm, I'm going to try and lay it up so you can just run. Oh, that's fine. That's totally fine. <laughs> you were talking about the launch, the launch of this bullshit battle go hand in hand, which is fantastic. Yeah. So my big thing is, like I said, I, I want to show people, and help people with diabetes determine for themselves that they can do the things they want to do. They can take control over their blood sugars and they don't have to basically be chained down by this disease that they didn't have a choice in having. It just kind of happened to them by whatever means and they have to live with it. And so instead of rolling over and dying, they say, I want to do it. I want to go on this massive hike. I want to go climb a mountain. I want to go play sports. You can do any of those things, but there's so much BS out there telling you, what you can and can't eat. And there's people, oh God, there's so many different directions I can take this, but there's people that will just tell you, hey, you have to eat this many carbs per meal. You have to eat this many per snack. You cannot deviate from this at all. You must eat every X number of hours. It just becomes so regimented that you, you feel like you can't escape and you're living in this movie that you're stuck in. And the moment I tell somebody, wait a second, you can do something different if you choose to, they either have been so brainwashed by the dogma that they're thinking you're full of it, Ben, 
or they're like relieved and this weight gets taken off their shoulders and they realize that they don't have to eat 60 grams of carbs at a meal or 75 or 40 or whatever the, the full number is they always talk about. And then like, oh, you can exercise. Like, really? I've always been told I can only do this kind of exercise. No, you can truly do whatever you want. You just have to be smart about it. And right. I almost make a sport out of eating like an asshole just to show people that they can. <laughs> I mean, pre-COVID, God, at least every other week, I was going somewhere either in Tampa or wherever I was traveling and finding some crazy food, posting about it, talking about it and saying, hey, this is how you can dose for this massive piece of chocolate cake. This is how you can dose for this massive plate of nachos and cheese and ground beef and pulled pork and all this. Oh God, it's so good. But you get <laughs> the idea. Like you can, you can do that. I mean, for my 20th anniversary, which is what we do in the diabetes community to celebrate your, your day of diagnosis. I mean, I went back to Chicago because that's really close to where I was diagnosed. And Amelia, my girlfriend and I, we ate our way through Chicago. I had like gelato tacos. I had these massive milkshakes. Like I had donuts from a famous donut shop all in the span of maybe three days. And my blood sugars were just as good as they were normally because you can do it if you're smart. But I'm. But the big thing is you got to still work out. You got to still be able to, to know what you're eating and you got to be able to dose for it appropriately. But just because you have diabetes doesn't mean you can't do certain things. Interesting. What's... um. I just ate. I'm still hungry now. So that's, <laughs> that's fucking wonderful. Um, what's like the biggest chest. So you're telling, you're talking about, I know like when, when we get into a type two conversation, mm -hmm. the easy thing to do is, is, is to strip the carbs. And now for no other reason than we can reverse this thing really quickly. Right? Like, I mean, like, it's not that we have to be on a low carb diet all the time, but like we can, we figured out that within nine to 12 days, something like that. I think the last thing I was read was, we can pretty much get type two under control and then we can start talking about food education, all these things, we get you moving. But with type one, obviously we're, we're there's a totally different battle, right? There's either not enough or no insulin at all uh, right. being produced by pancreas there. So we've got this issue when you, when you do go eat like an asshole as you uh, will phrase it, which I thought I was going to phrase it, but here we go. Um, when you do that, what is your biggest struggle? Like, for you as an individual, since everything, everybody likes talking blanket statements now, which is so fresh and current, especially right now and where we're at as a society, like dude, we're not in a vacuum. So, um, but like the textbook always says like, do this. But as you know, what Ben does, how you react to a, a cup of rice may not be the same way I would react to cup of rice, obviously in a, in a normal world here. What's your biggest struggle? You go eat this chocolate cake. What was, what's the thing you have to really pay attention to or that you might make the mistake on and you see like this, the adverse effect? So, I mean, for, for someone with type one who's not getting any insulin from their body and if they are, it's such a minute amount that it's basically negligible. Yeah. The hardest thing for the majority of people or for myself would be ensuring that a, your insulin to carb ratios, which are what we use to dose the insulin appropriately, are on point already at baseline. So you know, hey, I'm going to have 30 grams of carbs. If my car insulin to carb is 1 to 10, I'm going to take 3. Okay, great. That being dialed in is hard enough. Then you throw in some unknown food where you have to figure out exactly what you're going to dose. And, ex and then is there fat in there? Is there protein? Either of those could mess with your blood sugar too. And those could send your blood sugar. You're already having it spike from whatever carbs are in it that's going to just keep your blood sugar high for longer. So you have to be able to assess how much is in there for each of those nutrients. So everyone just pinpoints carbs. And even when I was in dietitian school, 
carbs, carbs, carbs. And I had to raise my hand. And by the fifth slide of the lecture, I was teaching the lecture because everything was so outdated and so wrong. Yeah. That's a whole other story, but, right. but I mean, yeah, this is, this is something where you have to assess all three of those macros and be able to figure out, okay, based on the behavior of protein and fat, in addition to the carbs, how do you need to dose your insulin? Not just now, do you need to dose it over time? Do you need to dose it in a couple hours? What are you going to do to ensure you're not dosing too much or too little? Because you don't want to have your blood sugar go to 350, 400, where it can be dangerous. You also don't want it to go down to 30, where it can be dangerous too. So mm -hmm it becomes a balancing act that you're constantly doing. And when, if you don't have that education, which a lot of people don't, they just get fearful of it. They see a cupcake and they act like it's a grenade with the pin pulled on it. <laughs> don't give me the cupcake. No, I can't have that. I can't have that. That's not what we want. You want to be able to say, I can choose that if I want to, maybe I don't feel like a cupcake right now, but I know I can have it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't have type one. I still have that issue, but I end up eating the cupcake anyways. Usually like 10 of them. I'm like, oh shit. Um, so that was going to be my question of, it seems like the easiest way to look at it is the carbs, but obviously that that's just touching the surface. So you're talking about the protein and fat, um, relationship in terms of both of those together with the carbs, what, what is going on with the fat and the protein there? Obviously like, um, a lot of times what we're taught is that, well, the other macros, carbs spike your insulin and protein and fat can manipulate that depending on what they are. And you've got glycemic, all these things going on, right? But in a, in a type one world, what is, what's going on with the fat and the protein? How does the body react for type one? And then what's that relationship to the body with the carbs in the picture as well? So, I mean, in all people, I guess, and you could argue in type one, it's especially pronounced because the blood sugars don't lie. So it's kind of one of those things where you can say, oh, this happens in theory, but the blood sugars will tell you what's actually happening under the surface. Protein can affect your blood sugar. Excess protein um, gets broken down into glucose. Therefore, it's going to affect your blood sugar, and especially if you don't have any carbs with the protein. Because remember, carbs, I, mean, I don't know if you remember, but nutritionally, carbs are like, I offer myself as tribute, take me and protect the protein and spare it. So they allow the protein not get broken down. But once protein breaks down, it's another carb. Fat isn't likely to affect your blood sugar by itself. But when do you ever just take shots of olive oil? Yeah. That's the thing. So there, but yeah. I don't know about you, but I, that's, that's some nasty shit. So if you put them together, what fat does, it slows your digestion down. So if you put high fat, high carb, like a donut, for example, which I love donuts. I don't know about you, but I love oh, yeah. donuts. Yes. I didn't, I didn't get this sexy without eating donuts, man. Oh, I just want I just want to get back to Voodoo Donut. I know they have one in Orlando and it's to die for, but fat will basically make your digestion slow down. So what's happening is the carbs will spike your blood sugar. The fat, because it's slowing everything down, will keep your blood sugar high. It's why people have a lot of problem with pizza as well. It's, they used to actually have an insulin pump setting called a pizza bowl. It's because it would give you some now and some later over time because pizza would spike you and keep your number high from the fat and the protein. So that's the issue with fat. And so people will see a plate of chicken Alfredo or they'll see a donut or chocolate cake and they'll say, well, shit, if I eat this, I'm going to go high because of the carbs in it. And then because of the fat, I'm just going to stay high. So I'm just going to avoid it completely because I don't want to mess with that. I don't want to deal with that. And then not saying that someone should be eating that all the time, but when you want to be able to have it or you're in Italy and they have awesome chicken Alfredo, you want to be able to enjoy it at that time and not be freaked mm. out. So that's the issue is people don't understand that. And because they don't get that and they sometimes are afraid to almost dig for that information, then they end up living more deprived than they probably should. Interesting. 
what's a, what does a, is there a role that fiber plays in that whole situation? Uh, I've, I've got my own thoughts on, on what fiber really means to us and in the level of what we need to have and what's the, you know, the book says this and we're finding out that a lot of people are having success with much less and we're talking about protein. I've got a couple questions in there, I think. I'm not sure how I'm going to phrase them properly, but what role does fiber play in a blood sugar increase or maintenance or even decrease, I guess, to someone with type one? Okay. Fiber is one of those things where, I mean, I'm, I'm a staunch believer in fiber. I know a lot of times from when you mentioned before, glycemic index, fiber is one of those things that should theoretically make your blood sugar not spike as high or as quickly. So it should, for example, white rice might make your blood sugar go up really fast and then come right back down. Brown rice, you may not go up as high and also may stay that and then just come down faster or roughly at the same rate. So if, uh, let me take that back for a second, not the same rate. It'll make you go up. It won't be as high and then you'll come down. It'll be kind of like gradual versus up and then overshooting down. So to me, it's super important. Do I think people need to have a certain amount? Yes. Do I think that, I mean, what you said, do people, does everyone need a certain amount? No, there's people on keto who are doing just fine. Electrolytes are involved in your poop too, if that's everyone's big concern. Right. But <laughs> then diabetes, I think it's important also just from a, from a gut bacteria standpoint, if we're going to get really scientific because people don't talk about that. But given that it's already an autoimmune disorder as it is, and gut bacteria seems to be linked to every autoimmune disorder, you want the healthiest <laughs> The healthiest fighters in there so that's, it's, that's my it's, on it. it's interesting because not that i'm some pillar of health when it comes to nutrition it's something i really like talking about because um i think it's the most wonderfully manipulated topic in in health and wellness um you know like we can talk about strength conditioning and we can talk about different you know periodizations rep set schemes but then in the day like lift more than you did last time run harder and faster than you did this time you're gonna be more athletic and, and it's not that simple but we can label it that is that you know, nutrition can be relatively simple. Um, but most of us, you know, like just don't, we always say like, don't be weird. Someone offers you beer, have a beer. But, and I, I got this loaded question based on something we had in a chat the other day, um, which I'm just waiting on to sit here. Cause it's going to be part of my next question. But with fiber, even a little bit I've played around with, um, I, I've kind of just taken the thing like try it. If you can try something for 30 days, and you don't die, like, all right, figure it out from there. If you're going to die, you didn't die overnight. You, you had something else going on. So, like, everybody just chill out for a second. We're going to be fine. Um, but for me, like, I'm starting to really recognize the relationship with carb and fiber to my digestion uh, in, in also in relationship to how much protein I have. So that's been a really, um, I, I don't know, fun, but it's been something I've done, even though I haven't been super disciplined with my nutrition it's something I've started to really pick up on over last year or so um, what those things in relationship do. But my next question is going to be about that protein. Um, you know, uh, uh, Schoenfield's research is showing that a very high, like very high, much higher um, ingestion of protein is showing really big benefits in, in let's just call it the strength conditioning world. Um, we call it, I mean, we can tag weight loss on there, but obviously the asterisk goes into when we have something going on, like the autoimmune disease and um, there's other things going on physiologically with the body. What is um, an accurate amount of protein or range of protein that you would suggest that the type ones are really getting into? First question is I want to know what he said the amount was per kilo or per pound. 
Yeah. So I don't remember the research exactly. Um, and none of it, none of it's really been like the early publication. I've seen something is some people are able to go as high as three, but what they're measuring it three grams. I don't remember. I don't remember if it's kilo or per pound of body. Um, but I think it's more in the research may have been centered around the idea of what's healthy, what's not, you know, cause the old saying of like a protein is going to damage your kidneys and like, you know, RDA is recommending an eight, eight tenths of, of a gram. You're like, dude, that's, that's also not okay either. This is why we're, we're fat and sick because we don't really, come on. That's like, you have a piece of chicken. You've already hit your day for the day, uh, your stuff, your protein for the day. So, um, to me, it's just really cool that the, the research is challenging the norm. It's not saying it's right for everybody, but when we start talking, I mean, when we talk about creatine still, like one of the highest research supplements on the market, people are going, your kidneys, your liver, you're know, like, guys, this isn't, like it doesn't, it can't be researched that much more without showing that like it's safe. It, we, we know pretty much long, like if something happens, you've got something else going on, um, which is probably a good thing that you found out. Um, so I'm just curious, like what happens with, with type one in, in the higher protein intake, obviously with what we call gluconeogenesis, um, you know, where, where protein is broken down and can be converted over to that carbohydrate. Um, what's going on in the type one world with that one? I mean, I feel like people just in the type one world or just in the health world in general, they're not paying attention to protein unless you're in that fitness community. Yeah. Kind of what you were alluding to like show and field and all them are going to say, you need this much. I know Lane Norton says a different amount. Everybody's got different, yeah. different amounts and different things. And at least in my perspective, you generally, if you have type one and you have a higher protein diet, you're going to have a better body composition. You're likely to have a better blood sugar, um, your better blood sugar control as a whole. But at the same time, the recommendations, who the RDA I got in some trouble in grad school for that one because I just shit on that. And I'm sure you can imagine that was that went over real well with all of my preceptors. And on the RD exam, I had to just answer what they wanted me to answer, not what I actually yeah. thought through. Dude, it's, it's, it is a really big show because there's dogma right there, right? Like, it's not to say that three grams, you know, is the answer. But what we do know now is that when you – Anybody I work with, even myself, like when I'm trying to get on track, the first thing I do is, is I, I center my plate around protein. Now, what, what that number means, I, sometimes it matters, sometimes it doesn't. It's just the behavioral shift of like have more protein. The, the chances of you, if you're a relatively healthy human being, the chances of you overeating protein, like you've got to have a full-time job and work overtime to overeat protein. And, and like just knowing that amount of energy it takes to break down the protein when you're digest, digesting the protein sparing that it does on the muscles inside the body once it's broken down like protein really is like kind of an elixir of nutri nutrients there it, it's got all these vitamins and minerals in it that like are really essential and i'm getting ready to try and lay up this question i'm excited for it but um it, it is it is kind of crazy to me that you know even through undergrad it was always just like, does this make any sense to anybody? If you just look around, like, I'm, I mean, I'm not the ripped dude. I used to be 255 pounds. So I know what it's like to be relatively heavy. Um, and, and for my size, like obese. Um, but you just look around, and you're like, yeah, we're, we're really misled and, and undereducated in what we should really be paying attention to and what's right and healthy. Um, you know, carbs and fat probably should be your manipulated uh, most manipulated nutrients. And then you, you just kind of like, here's protein. If you nail this thing 
and you decide to eat a whole bunch of carbs, just try and take your fat down. And we don't even have to measure at that point. You can be relatively like successful with that thought process. You're working out, have a few more carbs. If you're not going to work out today, bump that fat up and just kind of play around with the scale. You know, is it, is it just like a, here's basic for you. But what we do need to nail protein, just drive straight down that highway of protein. Um, and there's really not a whole lot of issue in, in a, in a relatively healthy person. We see the body composition change. We see a lot of stuff come down. It's just easier to ma maintain your nutrition when that is the focus. Um, but the layup question here from that is what's your thought process on vegan vegetarian? Oh, uh, that's a good one. I was going to say, cause like what you said with the protein, I always tell everybody focus on your protein, hit your protein, carbs and fat you have to pay attention to in diabetes land because it's going to impact your blood sugar yeah. like crazy. And before I get onto the, the vegan vegetarian side with that, I always, I, people are like, Oh, well you don't like the intuitive eating crowd. And I'm going to, I'm going to take a, I'm not taking shots, but I'm just straight up like the intuitive eating crowd and the diabetes world don't really mesh because yeah. people are like, Oh, you can just eat what you feel like and whatever. But at the same time, there has to be math involved. So whether it's the protein, whether it's the fat, whether it's the carbs, otherwise it's like, oh, I'm going to dose my insulin. Well, this looks like this much. So I'm just going to say it's that much. It's probably not going to end very well for you. It's like saying one plus six equals purple. Like that doesn't mean anything, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, before, it, when, yeah. And that, that is, it is a really interesting thing. You know, again, we're not in a vacuum. So it is like, what's this mean to you individually? There is the intuition really should come from what works best for you. When, what, what do you feel best doing? You know, like we know these ranges. Okay, well, some people are going to be better on a lower range. So if we said one and a half to two grams per kilogram of protein, great. Some people will find really great success on one and a half and they like the carbs and they, they feel really good. They're recovering, they're sleeping, they're, they're great. Other people go, no, 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 I still got this issue where I, I just feel like I can't stop eating carbs, but I feel really good when I eat a little bit more protein. Eat a little bit more protein then, it's okay. Like you're going to be fine. And it's, it's just... Again, it is one of those things that, like, there's a range there for a reason. Um, you know, my wife and I, we, we just, uh, we ordered the sacred cow. For, I don't know if you're familiar with Rob Wolf um, and Diana Rogers. Okay, so they're really getting into this, like, agricultural, um, why, why eating meat is, is good for us, but also, like, how it's not really dangerous to the world. Like, we're being taught with propaganda. Let's just call it what it is, propaganda. Um, and this is a good wraparound right back to to the vegan vegetarian community. Um, I really don't have any issue with people if they want to make that decision, but know that there's other things you have to do to really get in, get in what you need to be really healthy. Um, I'll just leave it at that for right now, but yeah, let's just open it up from there as far as what that really means and looks like as far for vegan vegetarian. So if somebody comes to work with me and tells me that they want to be vegan and they're not vegan yet, I ask them why. And usually they'll respond that they've watched some movie or something. I'm like, okay, so you watched the movie. Cool. If you watch Star Wars, you're going to go battle out in space too. And they don't usually have a good answer for that. I'm like, tell me an actual reason why. Well, I heard it's healthy. Right. So is actually eating like a non-asshole. So like, let's, I basically play like devil's advocate until they figure out they don't actually want it that bad. And they just think it's the trendy thing to do because it's not going to help them any more than anything else will. Now, if they come to me and they're already a vegan, then my thing for them is I'll still give them their goals. I'll still say, hey, you're going to hit this protein. You're going to hit this. You're going to hit that. They're like, okay. And I challenge them to hit those numbers. And if they don't hit them, then I'm going to say, okay, well, how can we work around it? 
And sometimes some, I mean, I will say, I think I've broken three. I've broken three, two have gone back to eating meat. One of them went just vegetarian, which is fine. But to me, I don't care. Like I vegetarianism to me, if you want to do that, by all means, you're fine. You still got the cheese. You still got the eggs. You're okay. You'll still get to that protein level. If you make a concerted effort to do so. The problem for me is when you're vegan and you don't care about eating protein, it's I, there's not much I can do to help you. Cause just cause you're vegan doesn't mean you're healthy. There's a yeah. lot of shit you can eat. That's vegan. Like I don't do Oreos are vegan. I love Oreos, but it doesn't mean you're going to be a healthy person because you're eating a shitload of Oreos. Like, right. Well, and there, there's the missing link there. Um, even, I, I mean, I don't have the research in front of me. I, I'm not, I don't dig down that rabbit hole too much, but I, I do feel like I, I would connect way better with it. That's saying about like what it means to, we need to, we need to do a much better job creating sustainable environments to, have animal protein around um and that's that's really what sacred cow is about like not only how do we create better qualities of meat in in in, you know more local farming and all these things but what does that do to the soil and what does that do for our economy and what does that do for the planet earth and all these other things and the argument is always like well cattle are the reason that you know the methane is floating in the air because they fart too much you know this is this is ridiculous right now you realize we're talking about farts like this is like COVID and farts talk now, but we're talking about animals in, in, you know, the world burning down. Um, so it, it's, it is kind of a struggle there, but again, like if, if there's a lot of reasons someone might be vegan or vegetarian, I tend to agree with like the vegetarian. It's, it's much easier to manipulate there. We do get a little bit of animal product in there and that's, that's fine. If you don't want to, a lot, I have a buddy that it most, I, I believe it, a lot of it's texture for him. Like, okay. So this isn't, you know, obviously he's a smart kid. We can educate him. He's like, all right, it makes sense to me on the side of like animals aren't dangerous to your health or to the world. Um, but more than anything, you just look at, you know, like if it's a texture thing, we can find this out. I had another client that she was a, a vegan for quite a while and she was starting to feel really run down all this stuff. We, I, we convinced her to put some salmon in just even a couple times a week. And like within a week or two, she was like, I feel so much better. I feel like so much energy. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Weird how that works. You know, like, um, it, it is to me, that's one of the biggest, um, mis misunderstood topics, particularly in the health world of that. If you just eat vegetables all day long, you're going to be super healthy. There's so much missing there, but then even farther people, you know, you give them an inch to take a mile, they're eating the Oreos and the donuts and they're going, oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm only eating this. You're like, this is why you look soft and this is why you're the skinny fat and this is why you got all these, you know, your hair's falling out, your teeth look terrible, your skin's terrible. We, flesh needs flesh. You know, like that's, this is the reason that these things kind of work together and, and it's, it's a challenging thing. So you're not trying to offend anybody, but sometimes being offended is a good thing you know, that means that we're challenging your beliefs. And, um, that, that to me is like one of the reasons that I was really drawn to you. So I'm like, he's not, it's okay to offend somebody. It's okay to have a debate and go, yeah, I can still help you or someone else might be better for you. But, um, yeah, it's, what is, what, how does, what is, um, when someone's vegetarian and type one, mm-hmm. what's the struggle there? What's the biggest struggle you find with that? Well, I mean, think about it. If they're vegetarian or they're vegan and they're type one, by definition, they're eating a ton of carbs. Yeah. And I'm so not is it a protein issue there? Usually their protein's lower. As they're vegetarian, maybe not as much so, but vegan for sure, the protein's much lower. The problem is 
for me, at least from what I see, is a lot of these people take the Oreo approach of, oh, it's vegan, it still counts. They're getting a bunch of shitty carbs in their diet. And then beyond that, then they're also in a situation where, and I'm not saying carbs are a bad thing by any means. There are some people um, out there right now who are basically proposing almost completely plant, um, plant, <laughs> plant, fruit, vegetable, like whole grain base. Everything. Like a fruitarian. Whatever it's called. I don't know. But they're, <laughs> they're doing great stuff. I mean, they're doing amazing things with what results they're getting, but it's really hard to sustain. And so these people are coming they're like, oh, I'm eating 350 carbs a day, 20 grams of protein and a bunch of fat. And I'm like, no wonder you feel like crap because you're not even making the good choices. Like you could do a better job and say, hey, I'm going to really make a concerted effort to get this this um, protein under control and I'm going to get quality carbs. But like you said, people will just gravitate to whatever's easiest and, just, and something will get a vegan label slapped on it and therefore it's healthy. It's the same thing with people who aren't celiac who go for gluten-free. You see cheese has a gluten-free label because when, since when has cheese had wheat in it and maybe, maybe a little like preservative thing, but people will do anything these days. Oh, it's gluten-free. It must be healthy. It's like, it's a fucking cookie. Like, there's nothing in there that's remotely healthy. If anything, it's worse. Yeah, dude, it's, um, it is funny. And, and they're, they're usually the loudest about what health means. Uh, that, that's always been really fascinating to me. I, when we talk about like vegetarian and potentially some different protein sources, more of a plant-based protein source, let's say like a tofu or something, do you see any struggles or any way that, that the blood sugar in a type 1 is manipulated differently than if you had steak? Um, and not, not from a sense of like, oh, it's the fat to protein ratio or anything like that, but like really just the actual protein source itself being plant versus animal based. That's a good question. It's interesting. I don't really see too, too much with like soy and things like that, but I know with respect to steak or actually for whey protein, those two sources can spike your blood sugar like crazy okay. independent of, I mean, they're of diabetes because there was a study done with people who didn't have diabetes and they measured they gave them a scoop away and measured their insulin response and it was the same as white bread from whey protein so whey protein i mean and most type ones will speak to this and i get the question all the time hey i had my protein shake i took no insulin it was only a gram of carbs and now my blood sugar went up 200 points i'm like that's because of the protein they dose for the protein suddenly it goes away so that's something I see all the time. I kind of, um, actually in the Blood Sugar Boss program that I released over the past couple of weeks, in the protein section, I have almost a stoplight. I think I actually put a stoplight in there. The red, which is like, be careful of this protein source versus the yellow versus the green of, hey, this might affect you in a couple hours more gradually, but it's not gonna immediately spike you. So you, you go from the side of things of, what is, it, what is it about the whey protein that spikes the insulin so much? I, from my perspective, and I don't remember the study. I just remember seeing it at some point. Yeah. The, from what I can gather, it's the fact that it's already hydrolyzed. So it's already okay. broken down so much. Your body absorbs it like that. Gotcha. Um, sometimes those protein powders do have a bunch of fillers and sugar and other shit in them. But more than likely in this case, it's that it's hydrolyzed. And just for whatever reason, way, mm. I think eggs were on the yellow on that traffic light and mm. steak for sure will do it. And sometimes pork will be on the yellow too. It just, for really? whatever reason, those strains just spike it and, or they'll be more apt to spike it faster way. I can tell you if I don't dose for it, I'm done for. So, and that, that's what you teach it to is it's uh, obviously we try not to teach good food, bad food, but just like kind of alert foods that this, this particular food we dose to the protein rather than the carbohydrate. Cause in like, 
a standard situation, you'd say like, oh, it's one gram of carb. You said you would have what? You said one to one to three. Is that what you did? Oh, I was I was giving an example. Oh, just an example. Okay. All right, but you do an insulin insulin to carb ratio, correct? Everybody's yeah, got so, their own, yeah. and they change through the day. So breakfast is going to gotcha. be different, potentially different than dinner. Yeah, that's interesting. So then you just teach to to actually um, um, dose towards the the protein, huh? That is interesting. And the that's fat. pretty crazy. The fat. Yeah, well, I guess so. The it's steak for sure. Because there's a study out there from five years ago that a guy basically put people with type one. He gave them a meal of 50 carbs, 10 grams of fat, and then gave them a meal at a different time, 50 carbs and 50 grams of fat. And when they had that high fat meal, it took on average about 50% more insulin to get their blood sugar back to normal than it did when it was low fat. And that's pretty wild. It was nuts. I mean, there were, there were, there's flaws in every study. When I was in grad school, I tore that one to shreds, but irrespective, that particular study was huge because it's, People knew that it was a problem with pizza and everything else, but that was the first one to really show, look, this actually is a thing. And some people took twice as much insulin to get their blood sugar back to normal. Wow. Dude, I think you would really dig on um, Rob Wolf and what he's doing. So he, he's kind of, um, let's just call him like a pioneer of paleo. He, he was in the CrossFit world for a little bit. He's definitely way away from CrossFit. He's separated from the years ago. Um, but he's a biochemist, really, really deep into the research side of things. But he really, um, he kind of catalogs what he's done as his own research on his own body too. And so he's wrote the Paleo Solution and he's, he always is like evolving his ideas. You know, he's like, listen, this is good for this, but we also learned that these things happen. And he just continually like, we're just trying to find the answer for what you might need. Um, but he's, he, he read, wrote a book called Wired to Eat and it was, I don't want to misspeak on it, but like my takeaway from what he presented was that him and his wife, they kind of, again, cataloged, like if you, we both had a piece of wheat toast, they were taking, showing their, um, their glucose readings, you know, maybe a half hour, hour, two hour, whatever their, their time frame was. Um, but they were showing it how, how just absolute different measurements they each got as an individual. So like she reacted really well to it, like didn't, you know, insulin didn't, or the blood sugar didn't spike real high, but Rob was like through the roof. Um, so he's all about like just having those conversations and I think he's battled with a couple of, or maybe an autoimmune disease at some point, um, where he's had to play around with like eliminating, um, vegetables and then re like bring them back in, which ones are causing me these issues, but you know, all this stuff. I think you'd really dig on his stuff just because he is all about like finding what works best in, in like, he tries to put it into this arena. Um, but also like with the caveat of like, what, what, it, what works for you? You know, like you may be able to do broccoli, but if I have broccoli, my head pops off, you know, I, I know I can't get off the shit or something like that. So, um, it really is a, is a very individualized thing. And I think that's what makes nutrition so cool because it's such a puzzle, but at the same time, we've got these really like simplistic, like, okay, here's where we probably want to be. And then once we start going from here, let's start playing around with the pistons in there, race one up, race one down, whatever you can manipulate it. To me, that's a really fascinating thing. And I'm sure that in something where you, where you are um, living with type one, it's just a bigger puzzle at that point, like because things shift and you're saying it shifts throughout the day. So now if someone is someone that has, okay, in your experience, you're going on 21 years. Do you have kind of an idea of like, okay, well, obviously certain foods you feel like you're probably going to do certain things. Do they do something different for you at different times of the day? I think it really depends. I mean, if I were to have something super high in carbs around 
like 7 a.m. when cortisol is highest, for me or for most people at type 1, they're going to see a massive spike relative to if they ate the same thing at 2 p.m. Then you have to consider the exercise manipulation side too and what that's yeah. going to do to your insulin sensitivity and all that. So to me, I went out of my way to make sure I had a CSCS and the RD so I have the top for both. So I can say, hey, between those two, I can integrate the diabetes into both and I can kind of oversee it so the three outcomes end up being body composition, blood sugars, and performance. Obviously, mm -hmm. the order would be blood sugars one, body comp two, performance three, but I can still have all three outcomes and focus on them all at the same time and, and get them for people that actually listen. That's interesting. So, and that's kind of where I wanted to steer here at this point is more of into the exercise world of this. Um, I don't want to misquote you, but at the beginning you said something about people will avoid particular types of exercise because of type one. They're fearful that like they won't be able to do it hiking, for example, or something like that. They'll just avoid it altogether. Um, as a, as a, as a strength coach, what's the, I'm just going to ask a broad, broad question here and we'll see if we can dial it in. What's your experience like working with, let's say people in their twenties that are, have type one and want to do something like, I don't know, CrossFit's like the hot thing, but want to do powerlifting or figure show versus just overall health. Is, is there, do you kind of coach to a particular style of training for each one of those aside from the sport itself? Um, or is it just about how do we manipulate the blood sugar in relationship to your food to be able to like allow you to really have success in your exercise? Well, I feel like most people, regardless of where you end up, everyone starts in roughly that I need a foundation. I want to have a better body composition stage. And so in the early stages, I'm not going to say I program everyone the same by no means do I, but everyone has similar, similar desires, but may need a different route to get there. Like someone may say, I want to work out six days a week for 30 minutes. Someone else may say I have three days a week for an hour and a half. So I have to, based on their schedule, I'm developing that routine for them. But a lot of the times I'm going for that blend of strength. I'm going for that blend of, of cardio along with it. Sometimes I'll throw in some speed. And if someone tells me, hey, I've, I've lifted for a little while or I have some experience and they're more intermediate, that's when I'll start to challenge them more with respect to the weights. And that's when I may start to throw in some more really specific things because I know they have the foundation to stand on and I'm not concerned about it. If someone says, I want to go hiking, and I want to be a casual hiker and do things on the weekends and stuff like that. I'm going to program them way different than someone who says, sure. I want to do a bikini show or I want to do a, a powerlifting meet. And I actually, I had a guy the other, I think it was last weekend, he just qualified for nationals in powerlifting, which is not awesome. like, but I mean, at the same time, like we had to work on what was going to be the sequencing for his food. What was going to be the timing? How much was he going to have leading into everything? irrespective of, okay, we have all these other things to consider. Like, and, yeah. it, it, and I mean, I think I've had now, God, in the past, in the past year, I think I've had three or four power lifters and they usually come to me with the background and I can take them immediately to a, to another level with it. It's, it really, it gets really interesting when you have to put the strength and the nutrition and the blood sugars all on one lens and really pay attention and stack them all together. Yeah. See, I, and I don't know, that's, uh, first of all, that's really awesome that these guys are finding success, uh, guys and gals. Um, I, I don't know if I'm asking, like, great questions with that, trying to organize that thought. It just, uh, you, it's not so much about what the workout is, about how we manipulate the, the food intake for said workout. I mean, like, we could say that for most people, but, like, I can go do a fast workout and, like, yeah, I may not perform at my best, but, like, 
it's not really, you know, I'm hungry. You know, that's, that's my difficulty there. I'm, I'm just hungry now. Um, right. versus someone with type one, like now we're actually talking about <laughs> staying upright versus, you know, walking out of the gym in or not. Um, right. so you're really, you could take any programming and you're just manipulating the food and the timing of it. Is that, is that what you're really looking at? Well, yeah. I mean, for example, myself, I've trained fasted for the last seven years and I love really, it. I love it. Oh yeah. It's really? Amazing. Yeah. It takes a variable out of it for at least to me, cause the insulin is going to be way lower. So you're not worried about a crash, but people will tell me I work out at 4 PM. I work out at 5 AM. I work out at 10 PM based on that. We'll say, okay, we're going to manipulate your, what you're eating at the meal prior or the snack prior. Here's what you may have instead, or here's what may be a better option given the time of day or, Oh, I'm going to go fast and okay. What insulin considerations do you have to do? Cause there's times where that'll spike your blood sugar. Even though people expect you to go down cause you're fasted, you'll spike cause your liver will say, well, you need energy. Let me go dump some glucose. So right. it, it becomes, it's a little bit of a balancing act, but honestly, I think the exercise side of it, once you have a pretty good strategy and protocol going in, you knock out about 90% of it. And I like to tell people, I'm like, I probably help people, get away from 90% of the trial and error and just kind of finesse that last 10% yeah. for them. That's interesting. It's you, you're fasted guy, huh? Mm -hmm. That seems well, like, like it, it seems like it goes against like, um, common intuition there. I'm always like in type one intuition. Yeah. Well, I'm that's fair. Intuition on everything. Oh, I, man. I, I was, was working with a, yeah, <laughs> I, I was working with a young football team today and I was, I don't remember what I asked them. And I was like, Someone says something, I go, hey, you guys can question me all you want. I want you to ask questions. But, like, when you question every single thing, uh, you're on one side. And when you question nothing, you're on the other side. I said, I hope that you one takeaway here is that you should question a lot of stuff. But think about it before you question all of it. Like, have a question, learn from it, and you should challenge the norm. <laughs> like, when I've said the same, we've done the same thing for the last three weeks, and you still have questions. I know you've been here, and I just said what we're doing, and you're questioning it that's when the question becomes a little concerning to me because it's not, a, it's a, what are we doing? I'm like, that's right. not the right question. If you're going to ask a question, you better ask the right one at this point. So it's, it's interesting, but yeah, dude, it's, it is, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I've always been kind of, I always, my, my like phrase is always like, give me the rules and let me figure out how to manipulate with inside of those rules. I'll play inside those, the, the you know, the guidelines, but how I play inside of there, I mean, a little different. Even when I played hockey, it was like, okay, here's the rules. How do I cheat inside of that rule so that this works best for me without getting in trouble, you know, penalty or you know, whatever it is. So I think that's really important in life because, you know, no one's, no one, no one has to police me. I'm policing myself or it should be. And the dogma can really kind of keep us down. It can, it can teach you that here, you know, maybe this is one way to do it, but it doesn't work for you. It's okay to have a question mark and, and, and really try and figure out, explore yourself and, and really figure out what's going on there. But, um, dude, I know you got to run here. I want to start wrapping this up. This is, this has been, I got so many questions now. I got a lot to think about, um, you know, you, you know, openly like type one is not something that I know a ton about. Obviously I know the basics of it, but, um, you know, I think I just lost in my heart. Can you still hear me? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. My headphones just died. Um, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, did you like a wealth of knowledge, man? And type one is not something that I don't have any other reason. I've never worked with somebody with type one, um, you know, individually, but I've always, I've always, 
I've known several people that do train through type one. They, they seem to have a good handle. And I've asked questions, but nothing like being able to sit down with somebody one-on-one -on -one and really, really talk about it. But uh, you will definitely be somebody that if I, I either steer people there or if I get to work with somebody with type one, I, I would appreciate your help with it. But um, before we sign this thing off, man, where can people find you? People can find me on Instagram at man of zeal. So M A N O F T Z E E L. My website is yourdiabetesinsider.com. And you can also catch me on the TikTok at Man of Zeal. I love it. It's the first TikTok shot I've had on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, you got you to gotta do something, right? As long as we've still got TikTok in this country, you got to take full advantage of it. It's a right, wild west. Right? Yeah, well, yeah, you might be heard about that whole executive order there. Um, but uh, no, dude, very cool. I appreciate you taking the time to chit chat. Um, I'm looking forward to, you got some big things coming. I, I love watching your stuff. It's, it is the battle of bullshit mindset. And I appreciate that. Um, it's good to have conversation and challenge thought. And uh, I hope you keep doing that. Um, any, any last words before I ask the last question, anything you want to sign off with? I'm just, again, I'm just happy to be here. And I just will always, I will always be questioning the norms, battling the bullshit. And my God, if, if I come back on here, I should talk a little about my PhD experience and how, the particular department is completely restructured after my after my tenure there. We'll I just look at that. that we'll, we'll we'll have to do with Ben Zeal there. Um, cool, man. So as a sign off, I always ask uh, my guests when it's all said and done, what's going to mean to you to have a life well done? Life well done will be having done, I guess if we're looking back and I'm 95 years old, it will be having done the things I wanted to do with the people that I wanted to do them with and leaving a legacy where I know that I left the world about a hundred times better than the way it was, was when I showed up. Love it, dude. Uh, I think you're well on your way. Uh, this has been fun, dude. Hopefully we can do it again real soon and uh, we'll keep absolutely. in touch. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you having me on here. All right, brother.